Welcome back to State of Belief Radio. I'm Paul Rauschenbusch, Executive Religion Editor at The Huffington Post, filling in this week for Welton Gaddy. You know Rabbi Jay Michelson as a regular guest on this program, an author, activist, and journalist who is not afraid to sound the alarm when his work exposes some of the most dangerous developments in our culture and our society. Jay has just published another important story in the foreword. Jay, welcome back. My pleasure. So you wrote a piece called Don't Be Shocked by Jewish Honor for Anti-Gay Pastor Charles Stanley. And the headline is somewhat misleading because this is a major piece about not just homophobia, but it has many other issues involved. Can you tell me a little bit about that piece? Sure. The Jewish National Fund, which is uh, one of the most popular uh, pro-Israel charities, widely supported in the Jewish community, uh, has honored as one of its uh, one of its honorees at the Southeast Regional Awards Center uh, a fairly you know hard right wing uh, Christian Zionist Charles Stanley who has said a number of uh, outrageous things about LGBT people. And so there's been a bit of a backlash, uh, particularly among liberal Jews, honoring someone who's said not just the garden variety anti-gay stuff, but really much more extreme statements. And, you know, I, I took a somewhat different tack uh, in the forward, because really this, is, uh, this one honor is emblematic of a, of a whole strategy uh, to get into bed with extremists, not just, you know, conservative folks, but, you know, really extreme hard-right conservatives. Uh, who say all kinds of outrageous things. I'm not sure we, we should be singling out his statements about LGBT folks uh, when he said so much and done so much else that's so problematic. Tell me about this unholy alliance of end-time evangelical Christians who involve themselves in Israeli issues. Now, first of all, who are they and what are the dangers involved there? So this is a fascinating uh, kind of story because the Christian Zionist world is actually in a lot of flux. Uh, you know, the most famous probably Christian Zionist leader is Pastor John Hagee, who's also a very conservative and also parenthetically a very anti-gay figure, uh, who's been honored before by Jewish organizations. Uh, and he has organizations called Christians United for Israel. And this is an organization that has a sort of basic... Uh, pre-rapture, uh, apocalyptic, millennialist view of the Middle East, which is that we need to have as many Jews as possible living in the land of Israel. That will hasten uh, the second coming, hasten the rapture, uh, and then the tribulations that follow after the rapture. Um, and, you know, this strand of evangelicalism, obviously it's a little disturbing for many Jews who are too old they're going to either have to convert or die in the imminent future when the, when the Messiah comes or comes back. But it's been easy for Jews to laugh it off because they've said basically, well, you know, we'll contact us when that happens. And we'll have a, you know, in the meantime, we'll take the checks and we'll take the political support in the United States. The new wave of Christian Zionists actually are much more, uh, believe it or not, sort of ardent uh, in their desire to convert uh, Jews to Christianity prior to the coming of the rapture. In other words, these are organizations that are rapidly uh, missionizing among Jewish communities. Um, so this particular honor actually is a little more of the old school Christian Zionist, but the, what the landscape is rapidly changing. Is this a fringe movement within the evangelical Christian support of Israel, or is this something that is really core to part of the reason there is such enthusiasm for Israel right now among the evangelical uh, Christian right? You know, among the leaders of the, of the movement, it's not a fringe phenomenon at all. 
you know, I don't know if we have good data polling, you know, our ordinary folks who are evangelical and support Israel uh, as to whether they're doing so uh, for some general political reason or because they think this will hasten the coming of the rapture. You know, Christian Zionists like to cite a couple of biblical texts that say, you know, whoever is with Israel, meaning the people of Israel, uh, you know, God will be with. Uh, so that general sentiment may be very, uh, maybe more widespread. But among the leadership, this is, you know, sort of garden variety uh, end times beliefs. And I think, you know, uh, listeners may be surprised to know that 77% of U.S. evangelicals uh, believe that we're living in the end times right now, that the rapture is going to take place within the next few decades. So it's not a fringe movement at all. It's a widespread belief. Uh, and the way it manifests in this part of Israeli politics is actually extremely damaging uh, to Israel, as uh, many many of us who care about Israel uh, understand the problem. Tell me about that. Why, how do you view it? As, you know, specifically as damaging to Israel. I think a lot of Jews are saying, like, yeah, they're crazy, but I don't care about that. What I really want is someone to really love Israel. That's right. So you know, there are a lot of ways to love Israel, and uh, the way that this, that the Christians United for Israel are doing it. Uh, has been by funding Israel's extreme right fringe. So extreme settler movements, uh, the hard, hard right in Israeli politics. And they've really distorted Israeli politics with this enormous infusion of cash and also political support. Uh, so, you know, I'm, as someone who does identify as a, as a Zionist and a rabbi and someone who cares about Israel, um, I think it's a path of national suicide to enrich only the hardest right nationalist fringe of the Israeli public. That's to isn't loving Israel, the people or the country, uh, but rather enriching one small segment of that population. So there's been this huge distortion in Israeli politics thanks to the infusion of American cash and political support. It's odd because it actually is a very self-serving policy among evangelical Christians because ultimately it's not about preserving the land of Israel, a safe homeland for Jews. It's not ultimately a Zionist principle. It's, you know, it's a very odd distortion. Do we have any knowledge of like when this started as a cultural phenomenon, as a real force? Sure. I really began in the in the 1980s uh, with the ascendancy of the uh, Christian political right. Um, and at the same time as, as that was taking place in the United States, there's a writer named Rachel Tabachnik who's done some really good research on the Christian Zionist movement. Um, the convergence of the rise of the Christian political right and the rise of the uh, the end times prophecies in the 1970s and, and 80s, in which parenthetically, you know, Ronald Reagan said he he believed, um, you know, this this kind of mixture of political activism and uh, hastening the coming of the rapture uh, really became became a, a potent force. You know, I think at first the even the Israeli right, the sort of moderate Israeli right, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and others, were a little bit suspicious of the motives of uh, these evangelical supporters of Israel. But, uh, you know, this marriage between the right and, and uh, Christians United for Israel is now at its 20th anniversary or so. So they've long since accommodated uh, their concerns and are, are, are taking the money and support. In some ways, it, it pains me as a mainline Christian because I think originally some of the most ardent efforts of interfaith dialogue and, and support for Israel actually came from the mainline denominations. And now you see them as somewhat suspect in many Jewish circles uh, because of their questioning of uh, ways of treating Palestinians and Palestinian strategies within Israel. So I think in some ways they filled the gap, uh, the more hard-right evangelical Christians. 
based on my work inside the Jewish community, I would say that's correct. And we've, we've seen a real polarization. And uh, that's really deeply unfortunate. Uh, you know, I was not one who supported the Presbyterian vote to uh, support divestment from Israel. Uh, I understand reasonable people could disagree about that, certainly. But the perception in the Jewish community is the mainline denominations are abandoning Israel. And uh, the evangelicals are the ones who are exactly, like you said, filling the gap. And, you know, that's going alongside with this incredibly damaging polarization uh, on Israel generally becoming a partisan issue where it never was one before. And I, I think, you know, when you look at uh, Jewish organizations like the so-called Emergency Committee for Israel, which is actually funded essentially by the Jewish Republican Coalition, you know, the attempt is to use Israel as a wedge issue and make it partisan uh, in order to drive Jews into the arms of the Republican Party. And that, that's a really cynical political strategy, and it's led to just the kind of polarization that you've described. You make connections in your article between the end-time thinking here in the U.S. among Christians and similar extremist belief in the Middle East. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. I like the way we're having this conversation because I think part of the challenge in understanding this phenomenon is that it's easy to reduce to reduce it to individuals, you know, that this is one uh, anti-gay pastor, for example. And so JNF shouldn't give an award to an anti-gay pastor. And I think the conversation we've been having and what I was trying to say in the piece are, are saying, you know, this is a much larger issue. Um, and yeah, it's not to say that he's not anti-gay. He is. But this is a much larger uh, pattern. Um, about the sort of new extremes, uh, both within American politics and Israeli politics, ideas that you would never have heard just uh, five years ago, that, you know, the occupation should go on forever or that, you know, Palestinians should forever be denied citizenship in, in any country and it should be a permanent occupation. You know, those are now views that you hear in the, in the Israeli government. And the making of making kosher what used to be trace, what used to be not kosher, uh, has come alongside the increased extreme rhetoric on the religious side here in the United States. But it's also a, um, a theological problem, isn't it? I mean, because I think w- even within ISIS, I think you mentioned that, that this, this idea of end times, I mean, what it does to people is it creates this sense of urgency and, and lack of an obligation of any sort of compromise or any sort of engagement. If this is going to be, you know, resolved in some sort of apocalyptic, um, vision, then it's actually bad for me to compromise. Absolutely. I mean, well, the worst case scenario, and really the worst case scenario, is that a lot of the evangelical end times prophecies and the ISIS end times prophecy are really the same. I and mean, that's what's terrifying. It takes two to tango, but if you've got two sides, these things can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. They both predict a, an explosive war in the north of Israel uh, and in, in present-day Syria. You know, the word Armageddon comes from an Israeli city called Megiddo, which is in the north, the northern part of Israel. Uh, even specific political alliances, uh, you know, are sort of predicted in various versions of the ISIS prophecy. The Antichrist is supposed to arise in kind of present-day Iraq. You know, these are interesting theological quibbles, you know, which for me as a scholar of religion is, is kind of fun to follow. But if you actually think about it turning into a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, it's absolutely terrifying. And, you know, I think it does lead to a certain kind of 
lack of compromise, to put it mildly, if we're hurtling toward the end times within just a matter of a decade or two, you know, that doesn't really inspire you to find a reasonable solution so that people can live together in peace and raise their children. What about an apocalyptic vision within Judaism as its practice among some in Israel? Is that also fueling this? I don't really know about apocalyptic Judaism or or what some of the um, ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel or settlers might be thinking about what's happening um, in a kind of uh, God-soaked way. So it's important to kind of disaggregate the different populations, and it's a really good question. Uh, the ultra-Orthodox in Israel don't tend to have a significant messianic uh, agenda when it comes to politics. Uh, it, it tends to be more of a quietist agenda that, you know, we, we're just waiting for the Messiah to come, which is why some ultra-Orthodox Jews continue to oppose the existence of the state of Israel, uh, because they see it as human beings taking actions that should be left for the Messiah. But in the, the messianic fringe in Israel is actually what's called the national religious. These are the people who wear kind of knitted skull caps, kippot, uh, not the black hats and, and black coats that are, you know, that are familiar for ultra-Orthodox Jews, the ones who are in the settler uh, community. There's a very important rabbi named Rob Cook, K-O-O-K, who uh, was the first chief rabbi, actually, of, uh, of Israel, the Jewish community in Israel, um, who did say a lot of things about, you know, bringing the redemption is up to us, and we have to settle the land and take back the land, and we will kind of bring the redemption, not in a supernatural sense necessarily, uh, but by, by our own action. And there is a widespread belief, I haven't seen good recent polling data on this, but it's a widespread belief among the settler community that there's going to be a big war, that there has to be. They recognize that the current status quo uh, is untenable, uh, but rather than actually seek a negotiated solution, as the Israeli mainstream uh, says it wants to do. The settler fringe is waiting for the next war, which the Palestinians will be defeated. Greater Israel, meaning including the West Bank, uh, will be under entirely Jewish control. Um, and that those are the conditions for the beginnings of the dawn of the redemption, uh, in, in Rabbi Cook's phrase. That's very powerful. Coming from a uh, you know a family that is you know with with Brandeis as my great grandfather, and so with, with a, a certain strain of Zionism that I have to say was completely secular. It's very interesting for me to um, to continue to expand my awareness of the different kinds of Zionism that exist. Um, uh, so. What's out there? I mean, how do we challenge this kind of rhetoric within the Christian community? Um, what would you suggest that um, ministers like myself and communities do? What do you think uh, the Jewish community should uh, be doing about this? How should they approach this very um, kind of uh, satisfactory on one sense, but perhaps very devastating alliance that is, is in, in place? So I think all of us who who had a more secular vision of Zionism, and I count myself among them, uh, should you know, this this split among the Zionist community has been there from the very beginning. Uh, Shavit's book, My Promised Land, does a wonderful job of distinguishing between the mainstream, what used to be the mainstream Zionist view that this will be a nation like other nations, and Jews will take their place among the family of nations, and the more messianic, uh, nationalistic, and then religious inspired view that Israel should be different from any other country and has some sort of eschatological uniqueness to it. 
you know, all of us who have the more, what I would call the more sane view, uh, should be disturbed by the ascendance of the less sane view. I think we, we really want to have this questioning, is Christians United for Israel as an organization really for Israel? Um, I think there's been a sort of sheepishness among more moderate Zionists and more moderate Christians as well to kind of say, well, actually, no, wait a minute, that, that fundamentalism, that's not, that's not the way forward for uh, Israel or for Palestine. Uh, that's the way to lead to yet another war. Whether it brings the Messiah or not, we may be skeptical about, but that it'll bring a lot of pain and suffering, I think we, should be, we can be clear about. You know, I think it's difficult to be a zealot for moderation. Um, and po- after the Presbyterian vote on, uh, on divestment, it's challenging to find the uh, sort of, you know, J Street-oriented two states for two people moderate uh, position and really advocate for it zealously. You know, I, I just wrote another column in the forward suggesting that moderate uh, Jews who support Israel strongly should now push for recognition of Palestine. If, if the Israeli government, funded by American extremists, is not going to seek a two-state solution, then the U.N. should put in the two-state solution, uh, just as they did creating the state of Israel in, in 1947. So tell me how that was received, because a lot of what you're writing here is you're saying things that I think many people may think, but not a lot of people say, which is you know a, a, a good thing to be doing, but it comes with costs. And I'm wondering how you have been receiving those costs. Well, the smartest career move that I ever made was getting out of the Jewish community, uh, the professional Jewish community. Um, you know, as, as you know, uh, Paul, I, you know, I founded the two uh, LGBT Jewish organizations, and those, of course, are dependent on philanthropic dollars, including foundation dollars. And for many years, I really felt conflicted. I, you know, I, I wanted to speak you know, my mind or my, my heart on these issues, but you know, certain of those foundations in particular are, are now really on the hard right position. Um, so, you know, I'm now in a sort of much more fortunate and much more privileged location, uh, working as an independent journalist and as a writer. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm now able to be in the community, but not dependent on the same sources of, of funding for my, you know, for my livelihood. So, you know, the, the, the response has been mixed. I, a lot of folks in J Street in particular, which in, incidentally, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, what can, what can the Christian clergy do? The, the J Street would love to have as rich a bench of Christian clergy as APAC and other organizations have. It's a great way to get involved. Um, I'm not affiliated formally with J Street, but I do support their work. Uh, and that, you know, it would be great to have that kind of a, uh, a backing the way that APAC does. That community has been, you know, tentatively accepting, interested, just judging on what, how people have contacted me and also social media. Um, but obviously, anytime there's a questioning of a certain kind of orthodoxy, whether it's on the left or the right, and I've been attacked from both sides, um, it's best not to read the comments. <laughs> I am totally with you there, and uh, I understand of what you speak. Uh, yeah, you, you and me both, you know, don't feed the trolls and don't read the comments. That's, the, uh, that's true on uh, Huffington Post, true in a lot of places on the Internet. So that, I think um, at this point, those who have... Uh, those who know me within the Jewish community and, and disagree with me, which who, how, however many people that is, uh, have either written me off or they're on board. <laughs> Rabbi Jay Michelson is an author, activist, who writes widely on the unfortunate confluence of religion and politics to the detriment of both. He's the author of numerous books, including God vs. Gay, The Religious Case for Equality, Everything is God, 
the radical path of non-dual Judaism, and most recently, Evolving Dharma, Meditation, Buddhism, and the Next Generation of Enlightenment. Jay's work is regularly featured in leading publications like The Forward, and you'll find a link to his article, Don't Be Shocked by Jewish Honor for Anti-Gay Pastor Charles Stanley at stateofbelief.com. Jay, I know we reached you at the airport, so thank you so much for taking the time to be with us once again on State of Belief Radio. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.